I want to take us back to maybe when we were kids. We had superheroes that we idolized, right? Uh, and it just depended on kind of what you were interested in, of who your favorite superhero was. For me, it was this guy right here, Superman. Anybody else when you were a little kid, that was your guy? Uh, just one person. All right, great. Uh, you and me, just listen. I like Superman because he, he, he wasn't bitten by a radioactive spider, right? Uh, he wasn't a billionaire that could kind of make up any kind of toys that he wanted. I mean, this, this guy was born to be a superhero. And uh, so as a kid, uh, to play Superman, I would uh, I'd grab an old blanket, I'd grab an old towel, and I'd wrap it around my neck and tie it in a knot as tight as I could, and I would, I would go flying through the house, right? And, uh, and when I wore this cape, I was faster than a speeding bullet. Uh, I was more powerful than a locomotive. I could leap tall couches in a single bound. I mean, I, I was Superman. Well, if you're familiar with Superman, you know Superman also had a nemesis, a main nemesis, a guy named Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor was always trying to take Superman out, but his real nemesis, the real thing that could take Superman out was this stuff, kryptonite. Kryptonite was the one thing that could kill Superman. And we know this because of the movie Batman vs. Superman, in which Superman actually gets killed by kryptonite, right? Well, um, I'm not here to talk to you about the the details and information of Superman and continue to, to wax eloquently about that, because that's about all I know about Superman, just to be honest with you. But, but there's a question that comes out of, of this kryptonite that I think is important for you and, and for me. And here's that question. What is your kryptonite? What is your kryptonite? What is the one thing that has the power in your life to take you out? Chocolate donuts, Mai Tais, binge-watching Netflix. I mean, for some of us, those may be things that could take us out, but my guess is that there are bigger things in our life that act like kryptonite, that have the power to take you and me out. They have the power to get us to this place where we lose everything. Everything that we love, everything we care about, everything that's important for us, we can lose everything because this kryptonite takes over our life. Now, what am I talking about when I talk about kryptonite? I'm talking about temptations. What are the temptations that you and I struggle with in our life that have the power to take us out? And so that's what we're going to talk about as we continue this series today called Dealing with Detours. We're going to talk about these kryptonites, these kryptonic detours that you and I face that we have to learn how to deal with so that we, we don't get taken out like Superman gets taken out by kryptonite. And so this series is all about a guy named Joseph. We're going to spend all of this series through Easter looking at the life of Joseph. We started it last week. Today we're going to spend our time in Genesis chapter 39. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. But if you don't, don't sweat it. We're going to put it up here on the screen. And here's what it says. Genesis 39, starting with verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Let me kind of recap our story and where we are and what we talked about last week. Uh, we have this guy named Joseph. Uh, he actually has 11 brothers. We didn't talk about the youngest one. We'll leave him for later on in the series. But he's got 10 older half-brothers. And they absolute, absolutely hate Joseph. They, they, they can't stand Joseph. And the reason is pretty simple. Their dad, Jacob, says, hey, He's my favorite son. 
I, I mean, I basically love him more than you guys. And he makes it very clear to these brothers that that's how he feels about, about Joseph. Well, one day Joseph shows up at the job site of his brothers, and uh, they're like, we, we got to deal with this. So they attack Joseph, they throw him into this well, and then they sell him to these traders that we just read about. Well, these traders, they're, they're spice traders. They're heading down to Egypt. They're going to sell their spices. And when they get there, they actually sell Joseph to a guy named Potiphar. Now, we, we don't know a whole lot about Potiphar, and kind of based on the, the language that's used here in the Hebrew, we, we think we know what he may have done. Uh, it's possible that he was sort of the director of uh, sort of the secret service for the Egyptians. I mean, that may have been his role. Uh, some even say that he may have been over charge of all their prison systems. Uh, but, but he's got this pretty important role within the Egypt, Egyptian government. And, and Joseph has been sold to him as a slave. And so here's Joseph who works in Potiphar's home. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing. I love this, except what kind of food to eat. Sounds like a pretty kind of good deal here, right? Like, Joseph is just amazing at what he is, is doing. But look at those first few words in this reading, it says the Lord was with Joseph. I want you to kind of imagine, if you will, what Joseph's life's probably been, been like up to this point. We talked about a lot of it last week. It was kind of like detour after detour after detour. And, and yet right here, it, it talks about the Lord being with Joseph. I wonder if there's those moments where Joseph is wondering, where is God in all this? God, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing these things to happen? And I think it would have been pretty easy for Joseph to give up on God. To have looked at these detours and say, hey, God, maybe you're real, maybe you're not, but, but I, I'm just not feeling it. But if we go back to what we talked about last week, even though Joseph couldn't see God at work, God was definitely at work in Joseph's life. And here, Joseph actually gets to see this, right? He's experiencing the blessings of being able to, to lead in this way in Potiphar's home. And so he's beginning to understand who God is to him. And, and not only that, but Potiphar is being blessed because of Joseph's connection to God. The story continues on. Rest of verse 6. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now, I want to stop just for a second and just say this. Um, I'm just going to let you know this story is sexual in nature, okay? And I, I say that, and as we look at it, for some of us, maybe it's the church background we were brought up in, or maybe we've seen or read something. We'll look at this and like, oh, look at this. Potiphar's wife is the temptress, and Joseph is the tempted. This is the way it is in life. Women tempt, tempt men. That is not the point of the story, Okay. And that's not the direction. It happens both ways. I just want to throw that out just in case some of you think 
that that's the direction we're going and that's what this is about. It's not at all. It's about something very different than that. But here's the deal. Joseph has pretty strong game, doesn't he? I mean, look at what it says here. It says he's good looking. Uh, I'm guessing he's in really great shape. Uh, my guess is his body looks amazing. And we actually know this because they were doing an archaeological dig uh, a couple of years back. And they think they found Potiphar's house. And they found an image in there. And I'm going to show you that image right here. That's real. I kind of hope that that's not what his face and head look like, though. I mean, I hope he had a lot more hair. But anyway, Joseph was young, right? He'd never been with a woman. Here's this temptation that comes his way, and I think it would have been pretty easy for him to give in, but he doesn't. But like I said, this story is sexual in nature, and I wonder for some of us if that's not our kryptonite. That that's not the thing that we struggle with. That it's the thing that has the ability to take us out in a moment's notice. But that's kind of where we go, right? When we think about temptations, we think about kryptonite, what can take us out. We, we, we think about sexual temptations. We think about substance abuse. We think about pornography. We think about these big ones, right? But sometimes the temptations we face are temptations that are small, or they seem small. Or are there temptations that we face that, that the world kind of looks at and says, hey, that's, that's not that big of a deal? Temptations we face may be things like success or food or work or acceptance, relationships, anger, hate. Maybe it's hobbies, TV or money or pride or not forgiving other people. Maybe the temptations we face are our marriage, our families, our kids. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, well, some of these sound like they're good things. And they may be good things. But here's what temptation is. Temptations are those things that get between you and God. And if you think about that definition, there is a whole lot of temptations that get between us and God. For, for instance, marriage. Marriage is a good thing, right? But but if your marriage is first and God is second, that marriage has become that temptation for you. You've allowed it to, to get between you and God. Again, there can be good things in our life, but they can become these temptations that if we're not careful, that can get between us and God. And so we're going to talk about those temptations today by looking at the story of Joseph. And as we look at the story of Joseph, we're going to find some things that we can learn about temptation and as we look at Joseph's story today, we can find out ways Joseph dealt with this that I think can also help us. And here's the first thing I want to say about temptation, okay? Temptation flirts with us. It flirts with us. If we go back to what we just read there, you notice it says that Potiphar's wife looked at him lustfully. I'm pretty sure Joseph noticed that. I'm pretty sure he knows that that's happening. He, he sees it. He senses it. He feels it. Maybe other people are talking to him about it now. Granted, at one point she comes and says, hey, let's go hang out together, right? But, but there's this lust piece there. There's this, this flirtation that is taking place. But that's what temptation does. That's how it begins. It's like, you, look at me. I, I, I'm over here. Look, look what I got for you. And temptation, see, it comes after our insecurities. 
It comes after our desires. It comes after our loneliness. It comes after our hubris. It comes after our wants. And maybe even it perverts our needs. That there are things we need, but it perverts our needs in unhealthy ways to such a degree that we finally give in to that temptation. We see it, and it flirts with us. We begin to accept it, and we give in to it. A great example of this is work. This year, at the beginning of the, the year, we did a series on work, and we talked about, hey, we're created to work. Like, God created you and I to do work, whatever that work may be. And you may be really successful at the work you do, and that's great. Because work's not bad for us. Success isn't bad for us. But here's what temptation says. Temptation shows up and says, Yoo-hoo, hey, you're, you're pretty, pretty good at what you do. But you, have you seen her over in that other office? Like, she's really successful. She, she's really climbing up the company ladder. She's got a bigger title than you do. She makes more money than you do. She hangs out with everybody in the C-suite. You don't do that. And so temptation says, you want to be like her, right? Well, you need to work harder. In fact, not only just work harder, but when you go at home at night, and I know you want to spend time with your family, but, but maybe you could put in a few more hours in the evenings. Maybe you can stay in the office a, a little bit longer. Maybe when those work trips come up, you stop saying no and you start going on every single one of them. That's what temptation does. It, it flirts with us. It gets us thinking of, about who we are, and it begins to change the way we think about ourselves and about our lives. Temptation flirts with us. But temptation doesn't stop with flirtation. Look at verse 8. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in this entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Temptation just doesn't flirt with us. Temptation never gives up. It never gives up. Uh, some of you uh, may be football fans, NFL football fans, and you probably know that the Combine ended last week, and, and if you're not familiar with that, it's where they bring all the top college football players to this one location, and they run them through this battery of tests and, and interviews and drills and everything you can imagine. And, and the reason they do that is these football teams need to figure out, are they going to try to draft these particular players, and hopefully they can get them if they find somebody they really like. Well, at this draft, there's a, a guy whose name is uh, Andrew Voorhees, uh, he is not related to Jason Voorhees, in case any of you were, thank you, one person got this joke all day long. So uh, go watch Halloween, you know exactly who he is. But, uh, uh, but, but Andrew Voorhees is an offensive lineman, he's a great, great player, but during one of these drills, he blows out his ACL on his right leg. Exactly, right? We're all like, oh, that's it, we're done. Because that's what I would do, be like, I'm ready to go home. I'm not going to play football this year. I'm going to go have to rehab and have surgery and prep myself for maybe playing the following year. Here's what Voorhees did. The bench press was coming up, and they were like, hey, man, you're good. You're done. He was like, no, I'm going to do this. And so there's a video, and you can go back and look at it, look it up. And here's Jason Voorhees. He's got these crutches. He goes to the bench, and he lays down on it. Now, you have to understand, um, these guys, ladies who bench press a lot of weight, they use their whole bodies, right? 
It's not just their arms and their chest. I mean, they, they use their legs as a foundation. He cannot move his right leg. It's in this huge black brace, his legs sticking straight out. The only foundation he has is his back, his glutes, and then his, his one leg, his left leg. 225 pounds. He's got to see how many times he can lift it. Lift it. He pumps out 38 reps. Nobody else beats that the whole combine. Here's this guy who says, yeah, things aren't great, but you know what? I'm not going to give up. Now, we hear that and we're like, oh, that's a great story because that's all about giving up in a good way. But there's, there's temptation that's not really any different because temptation never gives up either. Just like Voorhees, it keeps coming after us over and over and over again. Verse 10 says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. Joseph didn't get a break. She was relentless. Joseph may have said, no, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. And he may have said that 5, 10, 20 times. And you would think after a period of time, if you kept saying no, like temptation would just kind of leave you alone, right? Like, you know what? You're right. You're, you're good. I'm going to move on somewhere else. But that's not what temptation does. It keeps coming after us over and over and over again. It's like if you have kids and you go on a trip and you get in the car, they start asking questions, don't they? Hey, mom. Hey, dad. How much longer? When are we going to stop to eat? Can we use the restroom? Why is the sky blue? Why is my brother doing this? Hey, mom. Hey, dad. How much longer? And they don't stop. And as a parent, you're like, please. For the love that all is holy in this world, can you just not speak for like two minutes? And the kids are quiet for two seconds, and then those questions start back. They don't give up. Temptation doesn't give up either. Temptation keeps after us, and it never gives up. Even when you say, hey, I'm done, I'm moving on, temptation doesn't give up on us. So how is it then that Joseph is able to deal with this temptation because it keeps coming at him? Well, Joseph realizes what's at stake for him. He realizes what's at stake for him. Back in World War I, there was a German pilot uh, named Baron Manfred von Richthofen. And um, you probably know him better by his, his nickname. Uh, he flew a red plane, so they called him the Red Baron. Uh, he was famous, or I should probably say infamous, because... Uh, over the course of the 19 months that he was in World War I, he had 80 confirmed kills. I mean, he was, he was pretty good at his job. Well, in April 21st, 1918, the Red Baron is chasing this Canadian fighter. And he's so focused on this Canadian fighter, right? I mean, I, I'm sure all he's thinking about is, I'm going to get 81. This is my moment. I'm going to get 81. I'm going to keep going. And so he's so focused on this Canadian fighter that's in front of him, he doesn't realize a couple of things. First, he doesn't realize that he is now in enemy territory. And not only is he in enemy territory, but because he's been so focused on the plane, he doesn't realize how close he is to the ground. And the third thing that he misses is there's another Canadian fighter that comes in behind him. And flying that plane is a guy named Roy Brown. Now, we don't know Roy Brown from anywhere, do we? Because if you're Roy Brown or Baron Manfred von Richthofen, I mean, there's a little difference in names there, right? But he doesn't know Roy Brown is behind him. Now, they're not quite sure if Roy Brown shoots down the Red Baron 
or because of the, the direction or the, the distance that the Red Baron was from the ground where Australian soldiers were firing up at him, or both of them together made this happen, this was the day that the Red Baron, his life and his reign of terror of the skies ended. But the question is why? This guy is only 25 years old when he's shot out of the skies. Why does this happen? I think it's because there's this temptation in front of him and in a moment, he just forgets what's at stake. That, that instead of saying, hey, I need to get out of here, I need to go back to where everybody else is, he is so focused on this temptation that's in front of him that he forgets what's at stake for him is his life. And on April 21st, 1918, he was shot out of the skies. See, when I look at Joseph, I think Joseph realizes what's at stake from him. He he puts all this information out there as Potiphar's wife asks him to, to go sleep with her, right? He's like, look at this responsibility I have. Look at what my job is. Look at what I'm supposed to do. This is what my role is. He understands that, and he knows what's at stake for him if he gives in to this particular temptation. Do you realize what's at stake for you if you give in to the temptations that come your way? Do you realize what's at stake for you? Do you know the outcome of what will happen if you give in to the temptations in your life? Now, I believe we do. But here's one of the things that we love to do. We like to minimize the consequences. Here, here's the way we kind of function. We'll say, hey, um, you know what? It's okay. It's just, it's just sex. It's just, it's just this one time and... I mean, I'm not going to hurt anybody, and, and this is my life, and I can do what I want. And so we, we minimize the consequences of that moment. Or maybe for someone else, it's kind of like, hey, you know, we got a little issue here about just, just one little sip. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt me. I, I mean, I've done this before. I, I, can, I can do this. Or maybe for someone else, it's, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to adjust this one number. It's not, a, it's not a big number, but if I do a little adjustment here, I mean, Nobody's really going to find out. But this is what we do, right? We, we actually know what's at stake, but we minimize the consequences of making the decisions that we make and giving in to those temptations in our life. See, Joseph knows what's at stake for him. He understands the consequences. He doesn't minimize it like many times we do. Do we know what's at stake for us? But here's how Joseph is able to understand and know what's at stake for him. Joseph makes pre-decisions. He makes pre-decisions. Now, don't go look that word up in the dictionary because it does not exist, okay? It is not there. Maybe after today it will be. Who knows? But pre-decisions are these decisions that we make before temptations flirt with us. And I truly believe this might be the strongest weapon we have against the temptations that come. That we make these decisions in our mind before these temptations come. Like, this is how I'm going to deal with this when this comes in my direction. But it's not only just being aware of it, it's actually acting on those predecisions too. For instance, I know that alcohol is a kryptonite for many people. It's a temptation that detours many people's lives. But 
But if, if you're making predecisions and you struggle with alcohol, here, here's what you're saying to yourself. Your predecisions are this. I know I can't hang out with those, that, that group of people. Because I, I know if I go hang out with that group of people, I, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen to me. I know I'm going to give in to that temptation. And so you have to say, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't hang out with you. Or, or you know that if you go to that particular place, that, that what's going to happen to you is you're going to give in to that temptation. And so you have to tell yourself, I can't go to that restaurant. I can't go to that bar. Because if I go there, that temptation is too strong and I'm going to give in to it. Or even we have to get to this place of saying, hey, here's the deal. I can't even have this in my house. Like if I have this stuff in my house, the temptation is there and I'm going to give in to it. Whatever the, the temptation may be, we have to make pre-decisions before that temptation comes, even before it begins to flirt with us so that we can know what our steps are going to be when the temptation does show up. And not only that, but we are kind of safeguarding ourselves so we can put up barriers or blockades before those temptations push us to a place we don't want to go. The reason is we know what's at stake. And we don't want to lose everything that's so important to us. Joseph realizes this. He knows what's at stake. He knows if he gives into this, he's going to lose his job. But he also knows that if he gives into this, the chances are pretty good he may also lose his life. And so I am sure that he is trying to stay away from her as much as he can. We see some of that in the scripture here, that he's doing everything to say no and do his job and stay away from Potiphar's wife. But again, those temptations, they just keep coming at him on a daily basis. But here's what's so powerful about who Joseph is. And this is the predecision he makes that I think is so important that he makes. And I think it's important to you and I. He says this, it would be a great sin against God. Like that's what he remembers. He's like, if I give in to this, this would be a great sin against God. God, that he remembers who God is to him. And maybe for you and I, we need to remember who God is to us too. And when those temptations come, maybe the predecision we have is, hey, if I, if I fall, if I feel like falling, I have to know that this is a great sin against God. So for you, what are those predecisions that you need to make? What are the things you need to put into place right now and the actions you need to take to make sure that this kryptonite doesn't take you out? Well, there's one more piece to this story in verse 11. It says, One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Here's Joseph. He is going about his business. He's doing his job. He is doing his work, everything that he needs to do. And all of a sudden, there she is. That temptation is back. But I want you to notice here, the temptation isn't looking at him lustfully anymore. And she does say the same words that she said before, but this time she grabs him. And that's what temptation does, right? It flirts with us over time. And it keeps coming at us and flirting with us day after day after day. But there's that one moment like, boom, it just grabs us and says, now is the time that you've got to make this choice. And for you and I, we've got to make that choice in that moment. Are we going to give in to that temptation? 
Are we going to be like Joseph and run? See, temptation ambushes us. It ambushes us. It comes after us on a daily basis. It flirts with us. And then it says, hey, I'm here. What decision are you going to make? Again, I, I, I think about Joseph, and I, I, sometimes we can read this uh, chapter 39, and, and I think we can think to ourselves, like, this is a day or two, right? I, I mean, he, it's pretty easy after a day or two to say, no, no, these temptations. He talks about day after day. Th- this is going on for a long time in Joseph's life. So, so what is it about him that allows him to continue to say no to this temptation that's there, even as it gets to this point of ambushing him. Well, in this story, there's something about that Joseph that uh, just kind of blows my mind. If you think about Joseph, he doesn't have a Bible, okay? It's not like he has a Bible that he can go to and say, oh, temptation, okay, hold up, let me go look that up and read that. Like, Oh, this is what temptation is, and this is how I'm going to handle this. He doesn't have that. The Old Testament hasn't been written. He's, he's living the beginning parts of the Old Testament right here, right? But what, what does he know then? He, he's got stories. He's got the stories from his, his family. His great-grandfather, Abraham, um, would have, those stories would have been passed on to, to Joseph. He probably sat at the, the foot of, of his, his grandfather, Isaac, and, and Isaac would have told about the connections and relationships he, he had with, with God. And of course, then there's Jacob, his dad, who said, hey, you know, this is what it was like. You know, this interactions I had with God is what the relationship looks like. And, and here's my story about my, my connection to God. So he, he's got those stories. But for him, there's not a whole lot there, right? There's, there's a couple of dreams he's had. And these dreams like, hey, you're going to rule over your family at some point. He's like, okay, well, that, that's from God. And this is sort of the experiences he has there in Potiphar's house. Other than that, there's not a whole lot there for Joseph to hold on to. And yet, as we read this story here, he doesn't give in to temptation because of this connection that he has with God. Even, in my opinion, with very limited knowledge, and I would say even interaction with God. Here's Joseph who is still confident that God is with him which tells me that Joseph had incredible, amazing faith. He had this incredible faith in God. Now, for you and for me, we might say that we have faith, right? But here's kind of the way that plays out for us. We have faith. We have temptations that are coming, and we're like, hey, God, you know, today on a day like Sunday, hey, God, can you, can you kind of take these temptations from me? And and it's like, hey, um, by Wednesday would be great because that's the middle of the week. It gives me a couple extra days at work. And by Friday, please, because you know the weekend's coming. Who knows what the weekend's going to be like? And so we're like, hey, God, can you kind of help me through these temptations and, and do it really, really quickly? We sort of have a little bit of faith. But we don't have the kind of faith that someone like Joseph has. Because those flirtations will come our way, and we may pray about it. And it comes after us day after day after day, and we may still pray about it. But then that temptation ambushes us, and we're like, ah, well, it doesn't look like God's doing anything. And so we give in to the temptation that's in front of us. Joseph has this incredible faith. For you and for me, question whether we always do. 
Because I believe giving into temptation shows our lack of faith in God. Giving into temptation shows our lack of faith in God. In 2022, Gallup did a poll. They just asked a simple question. They said, do you believe in God? 81% of the people said, yes, they believe in God. Here's the deal. Just because you say you believe in God doesn't mean you have faith in God. Those are two separate things. You can say you believe in God, but what does that God look like and how does that God function in your life could be very different. But, but here's the deal. Because you say you believe in God doesn't mean you have faith in God. And even if you say you have faith in God, the other question is, do you believe that that faith is strong enough where you know that God will act on the faith that you have? I would say it this way. Faith should force us to act in such a way that we expect God to help us work through our temptations. Faith should force us to act in such a way that we expect God to help us work through our temptations. That's why I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I love how Paul starts this piece out here. He says, hey, guess what? Everybody faces temptation. Like nobody gets a pass on temptation. All of us face temptation in our life. Now, those temptations are different. And we all know what those temptations are, whether they're big ones or or they're small ones or, or things that whatever they are that get between us and God. We all face those temptations. But look what Paul writes there next. He says, and God is faithful. Here's Joseph, and right here, he's probably still at a relatively young age. I mean, this dude has has been through a lot. And yet, deep down inside, even with, again, I would say a limited knowledge of of God, he still has this faith in who God is. He still believes in who God is. And the reason is, for Paul says, God is faithful. See, God was faithful to Joseph. Even going through the detours that he's going through, even though those temptations keep coming his way, God is faithful. And Joseph gets to see that because of what's happening in Potiphar's household and and the responsibilities that he's been given and the blessings that Potiphar is getting in his own home. And because God was faithful to Joseph, Joseph was faithful to God. And even though Joseph didn't have these words from Paul, he understood that God was not going to give him more that he could handle. He understood that God was going to be there for him and show him a way out when those temptations came his way. For you and for me, guess what? Temptations are coming. And they're probably hitting you right now in this moment. And you know what? They're going to hit you when you leave this place, and they're going to hit you tomorrow, and they're going to hit you a month from now, a year from now, decades from now. Temptations are always going to be there. But maybe we can be a little bit more like Joseph and understand what Paul writes, that God is faithful. That when those temptations come, God is faithful to us. That God's not going to give us temptations that we can't endure, that we can't stand against. That God will find a way out. Help us find a way out from the temptations that come. Because those temptations are going to keep on coming. I say that, and as we talk about God being faithful and kind of challenging our own faith, it's also important to remember we're going to give in. 
We are humans. Uh, Not only that, but we are sinners. And temptations are going to come, and you're going to give in to those temptations. And you already know this too. There's temptations that you have that you're going to keep giving in to. God's still faithful in that. And the power behind that is God is a forgiving God. Now, does that mean we should like, hey, well, God's going to forgive me, so I'm just going to keep doing this. I don't think that's quite the way this thing works. What I believe is that God is looking for us to begin to work on ourselves and to change ourselves, to be able to say, this is so, so hard. But God, you're faithful. And because you're faithful, I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to work as hard as I can with you to battle this temptation. I believe God forgives us when we give in. But I also believe God gives us a way to stand against those temptations that come our way. Look at the life of this guy named Joseph, and I think, I don't know if I would have said no to that temptation. But Joseph did. And as I look at his life, and as I look at this moment in his life, it's all because he had this confidence who God was in his life. Do you have that confidence in God yourself? What are the kryptonites in your life that have the potential to take you out? You know what they are. But maybe today we can learn to begin to fight against those temptations to a God who is faithful to you and to me.